<laughs> oh, this was the plan. All right, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, you just you just never know. Well, hey, I think it's a great weekend, and I'm glad that you're here today as we've worshiped the Lord. Thank Joe and the team for doing that, and, and, and Tiff for walking us through some of the challenge of getting more connected around here. Have you ever wanted to rewrite the story of your life? And maybe it's not the whole story of your life. Maybe there was a chapter or two or three that you'd say, you know, I'd like to go back and have a mulligan on that. I'd like to redo that one. Or maybe it was just, you know, a certain decision you made or an experience that you fell into. We cannot go back, though, and rewrite our story. Our story is our story. But so many times we feel that we've moved along in life in a place where our story has got to um, sort of sort of cornered us. And we feel like, you know, there's, there's no hope or there's no use or it is what it is. And we just sort of have a, a sense of resignation. Well, I want you to know what God's always doing in life and wants to do in your life is to take your story, no matter how much of it has been written and what way it's been written, and use it in a greater way to bring glory to him. And you are not at a dead end. You do not have to have a sense of resignation concerning anything, anything that has happened to you or you have fallen into prior to this very moment of walking in here this morning. And part of the redemption story that we have to share with you today is that there is hope in your story if you let your story play out in the larger story of what God's doing in our world. We started a series last week called Epic. The kingdom, the gospel, and the community of the king. And the reason that uh, I'm endearing us to this is because, as I mentioned last week, a lot of Christians sort of live life like showing up at a movie 45 minutes after it started, and they're clueless. Or we try to live our little stories out in the midst of, you know, maybe our friends, our family, but there is no larger epic that's going on that our heart's enthralled with. But you, as a human being, and hopefully then as someone who becomes a Christ follower, a Christian, your life is to play its way out in the bigger epic of what God is doing. We let off last week. If you missed last week, you missed one of the few moments we actually run a, a movie in this Sunday morning service. We ran with Lord of the Rings a little bit. And you start watching that, and I I noticed some of you last week when I cut the movie off, you were like, oh, now we got to listen to you. (laughs) It's like, I want to watch the rest of that Lord of the Rings story. We had the the two towers going, and and, uh, you're enthralled with what all the action is that's happening in this. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings. There's a section in that one of the two towers where the question is, I wonder what kind of tale we've all fallen into. And that is a wonder that you need to have as a human being and definitely as a Christian 
What is the tale that we've fallen into? What is the bigger story, the epic? What is going on? What is happening so that my little story, whether it's a broken story or maybe it's a story on pause, whatever it may be, that my story may fit into his larger story? Because we said our stories are being written inside of this larger story and the clues to the larger story tap into some of the very things that are in our hearts, that are written on our hearts expressed through our passions and our interests and longings. What makes an epic? What makes an epic is adventure, a journey, romance, right? A villain, crisis, brokenness, salvation, some type of redeeming. You know, that's what makes a great storyline. Well, could it be the reason we like stories and watching epics is because The desire for the larger story has been put in our hearts. And that's why Ecclesiastic 11, 3.11 says this. He has planted eternity in the human heart. There has to be something more. What else is going on? I can guarantee you this. Your life will have a sense of meaninglessness the more myopic it gets. The more you're focused on the little things, the problems, the discouragements, uh, or your own success, or you know, you're, you're just your own well-being, that myopicness will eventually lead you to a sense of meaninglessness. But the more you step back and dial into the eternity that God's put on your heart that says there's got to be something more, the larger story, you will find meaning and purpose. And so for us, let's not show up at the movie 45 minutes late and try to be figured out. Let's, let's get a clue of what's happening. And then not only to know it with our minds this morning, but to begin redirecting our lives experientially to play into that larger story. The larger story is the kingdom of God. We said last week the first words ever recorded that Jesus Christ spoke, at least the first words recorded in the first gospel ever written in Mark, were these. When Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news, Mark 1.15. The time has come. Jesus says, hey, I'm here. Let me dial you in, let you know what the epic is that's going on. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is at hand. Repent, change your mindset, how you're going about life, and begin to believe the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that God is doing. So this morning, what I'd like to do is just continue to drill down some into that larger story of the kingdom of God. Do you ever read scripture sometimes and wish you were right there at that setting? I mean, maybe it was the cross. Maybe it was the resurrection. Maybe it was Jesus just frolicking with his disciples and teaching them as he's walking from one place to another, Sea of Galilee, down to Judea. It's like, man, just let me right in there. I I would enjoy that. Well, I think one of the places would be pretty cool to have been when Jesus was alive was after the resurrection. Jesus began to appear, you know, after the resurrection for a period of 40 days. And he would show up in their midst. And and he wasn't a ghost. He was a real live uh, person who had come back from the dead. But he had a transformed body. And so he would sort of appear. And then sometimes he'd disappear. And and they had skepticism going on as he didn't be really alive. And and so he would show up and go, oh, wow, there he is. Now, once 
you arrived in his midst during those 40 days after the resurrection, what do you think he did with his people? He's like, let's have a party. Let's, let's you know, who's got the pool that's open, right? Or, you know, let's, let's maybe take a little journey. Let's go out and catch a boat on the Mediterranean. I, I don't know. What would he done? Well, Jesus had a goal in mind for those 40 days after his resurrection, before he ascended back into heaven. And he had a goal of instructing his followers. And so I'd like us to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're familiar with this first part of Acts, but I want you to see it through the lens of the kingdom of God and the larger story of what he was doing. So Acts chapter 1 begins this way. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. Now, the former book was uh, the Gospel of Luke. So Luke's writing the Acts. The Acts is the Acts of the Apostles after Jesus Christ's death, resurrection, ascension to heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So if you arrived in that moment of the storyline, and you're like, oh, that would have been really cool, you would have found yourself sitting around with Jesus, I don't know, on some rock, on a hillside, down along the water, along the path, walking, and he'd say, hey, let me tell you what you need to do now. You need to go to church, you need to be really good, you need to stay out of trouble, and you need to really hang tight because some cool things are coming. Is that what he would have said? Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but that's not what he did. He sat in casual environments, he would instruct them, and what he began to instruct them on was this bigger story. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was indeed alive. Have you ever wondered, did Jesus Christ come back from the dead? Come on, get real. Someone of their own accord come back from the dead, right? Well, study it. Study the evidence. Study the the sightings, all the eyewitness accounts. And Jesus was adamant that people understood he had come back from the dead, because if he hadn't come back from the dead, then nothing has changed in our world. But he broke the chains of death, He conquered Satan and the adversary, and he established a new day. So he gave many convincing signs and proofs that he was indeed alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. So when he said, hey, circle up, I got some stuff to share with you, man. He didn't pull out some rule book and say, now this is how you need to act. He shared with them the epic, the kingdom of God. This is the larger story. Let me let you in on what's happening. And you and I, as Christ followers today, or if you're not a Christ follower today, and you're just someone who's sort of seeking out the God thing, and if there's a place for God in your life, this is critical. You need to be drawn in to the larger story of the kingdom of God and understand the larger story because your small story, whether it's been good, bad, or indifferent, fits into this larger story and God's redeeming it for the greater story and into eternity for all times. We're just going to be telling a lot of stories and those stories are going to be in part with what you're walking through in your life right now. Good, bad, ugly. 
And so Jesus began to impart to them an understanding of the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, now, do not leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait. I want you to wait here for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so we endear ourselves to this passage and excitement about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. And that's all great. The Holy Spirit's really the Spirit of Jesus himself, you know, come to dwell within us. And um, he's articulating, though, events, something that's going to happen. So he says, hey, wait, you need something to live this larger story. It's going to be my spirit. You're going to be baptized with the spirit. And there is going to be a chronology of things happening from one event to the next, to the next, to the next. So he's unpacking the storyline. All right? And so we walk into the book of Acts and we start to see this storyline unfold all the way through the whole book of Acts and even up until today. September 1st, 2019. There is a storyline going on that God has initiated and that we're a part of. Acts 1.6 then says this, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is a huge question that's really loaded. You see, Israel... At that time, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, were under Roman control. But if they look back on the history of their life, like we look back on the history of our nation, there's peaks and valleys. Well, the peak was the Golden Age, which was during King David, when King David reigned and all their enemies were at bay. But here they were underneath the leadership of the Romans. And they're like, hey, is this now it, man? Is it going to happen now? Is this part of the storyline? You're going to restore the kingdom our kingdom? Yeah, your kingdom. Um, is it going to happen now? And Jesus doesn't reprimand them. They're trying to get a handle on the larger story. But he tells them this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Tell me, Jesus. My life's been a big challenge recently. This week has not been easy. There's some hardships that have come into play. Some news was broken my direction that's going to change things in my life. Jesus, tell me what's going on. What's a part of the bigger picture? The bigger picture, yes, for your life, but your life fits into that larger picture of the kingdom of God. And he says to his disciples here in this moment, he says, it's not for you to know sometimes all the little details. When this is going to happen, what's going to happen next? How many more days you got here? How many more years you got to live there? He says, but I want to draw you into an understanding that you are a part of something bigger. And I want you to be patient. I want you to receive power in your life. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to work for me. And I want you to be my witnesses in 
your neighborhood at hand. I want you to go to some other part of your town or city that you're not comfortable with and maybe try to press out there and, and share the epic story and some of the good news that I've come to bring. And, and then don't forget the world. There's places around the world that really need to be dialed into this story. So he doesn't reprimand them, but he calls them in to the kingdom story that it's something more than just the nation of Israel and their woes or their anticipation of that season. And he's calling them forward to be a part of this larger story that he's doing, a story that's in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God is doing something in this world, and you and I need to get a clue. Because your sense of meaning and purpose in life is directly related to dialing in to that bigger story, that bigger mission of what he's doing. The bigger mission just isn't about making all things right in this world. It's not about just getting rid of all the prejudice, all the jealousy, squelching all the rumors of wars or, or dealing with the violence at hands here. The, the story is something much grander than that. And the story and the purpose and the meaning that's all in it will fix and make all wrongs right eventually in God's time. But you and I need to participate in that mission. Thus, the awakening church fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And his mission is forwarding his purpose and will into all the world. After he said this, though, he was taken up before their very eyes. Just whoosh. Just lifted up in the air. And a cloud hit him from their sight. I was thinking about this. Sometimes you walk outside and you want to see the stars and there's clouds. Or, you know, maybe, hey, there's not as many clouds here as it was in the Midwest. But there, there's uh, this sense that clouds can hide. Oh, what a beautiful full moon. Then all of a sudden, where'd it go? A cloud hit it. it that's their experience. Jesus is with them. They've just been circled up talking about the kingdom of God and asking him questions and, and probing him. And he says, I think I'm good. And you guys are going to be good. You guys are going to be good because I'm going to send my very spirit to be with you, empower you. And um, hey, take care. And he was lifted from them. See, that's why I want to be at that seat. I want to hear the teachings. And I want to see the Lord lifted up. And he disappeared from them into the heavens. Where are the heavens? Maybe it's a fourth dimension, maybe whatever. Maybe it's a, an exact location, some beyond place in the universe. I, you know, it seems to be that there is this sense of an otherness of a dimension that he disappeared into the heavens, the spiritual realm. And they're standing there doing what? Gawking gawking and starting to be fearful. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen? Do you think that really happened? Well, that was just a good way for Luke to sort of maybe end his one, you know, book he wrote and start off the next book. You know how books are sometimes. They just sort of entice you like, oh, I want to read the next thing. It's like, what, what, what? Did that really happen? Friends, that happened. 
Scripturally, it happened, yes, but as you dial into the greater understanding of God's kingdom, what's going on, Jesus Christ, he was a real person, he wasn't a legend, he wasn't a myth, he lived, he died, he was God himself come in the flesh, he was without sin, he rose from the grave, and after 40 days of appearing to people and teaching about the kingdom of God, he ascended into the heavens, and the angels came alongside and said, stop your gawking, stop your fearful trembling. He told you to get at doing something. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go on mission to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? He says, they said to him, now, you just need to anticipate this. You need to dial in. You need to think about it, because just as he was lifted up, he's going to come back in like manner. That's why the Apostle Paul in Thessalonians said all creation is waiting patiently and hopefully for that future day when God will resurrect his children. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout and with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel and the great trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first to meet the Lord. Then we who are still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we remain with him forever. Hallelujah. That's a part of our story. So maybe your team's not doing well. Maybe the promotion hasn't come like you thought. Maybe you got a child that's not quite toeing the line in school or something else as you'd hoped. But you are living what I refer to as between the times. And you and I are between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And we long and anticipate and hope for this. Not to sit around and sort of twaddle our thumbs and say, well, what we got going? I think we'll do this and do that. See, that's why Paul wrote that part in 1 Thessalonians. Because he was like, get busy! What are y'all waiting around for? Worried about people that die going to go before you? I mean, it's just, hey, this is what's going to happen. Here's some chronology, and why did Paul know it? Paul knew because Jesus had appeared to him, has passed on down through the apostles. I don't know, when they, maybe when they were circled up and they were chatting away, Jesus started to, he didn't tell them the times or the dates, but he said, hey, these are some of the events, this is sort of what's going to happen. They were dialed into it, and they were passing it down from you know, one follower of Jesus to the next follower to the next one, and then came along the next generation. They kept passing it down. Here's the story. Here's the epic. This is what's going on. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God came in Christ. It's going to come in its fullness someday. Jesus, who came, died, raised from the grave, was ascended to heaven, and he's going to come back. This is a part of the bigger story. And we have to find our context in the middle of that story and not allow the myopic of our everyday worlds to challenge us to the point of meaningless, but to take the challenges of our everyday life and plug them back into, God, what are you doing? God, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, uh, this is a challenge for me, uh, the death of this person in my life or the brokenness of this relationship or this marriage. What What are you saying to me? How do you want me to become more like you, Christ? And so we fit into that larger story, and that's how do we help other people with their stories know how to fit into that larger story. I want to give you a little bit of a timeline. I hesitate to do this sometimes because you get caught up in the minutiae of it, but I think it's helpful for us if we're to understand the kingdom of God. So here's a simple timeline for you. The kingdom of God, there is the present age, and there is the coming age. But even before then, that's why on the right-hand side of this, I mentioned God and eternity before time. It wasn't that, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's in the beginning when God uh, was there and he chose to create time and he chose to create 
the heavens and the earth. So God has always been, eternity has always been there. If you want to get your mind sort of messed up and try to comprehend that, try to do that as an infinite person. You can't understand, I mean, a finite person, you can't understand the infinite, but it's sort of nice to try, and then you realize your own finiteness. But the, the God in eternity before time, and then he establishes, hey, I'm, I'm going to start, and maybe there was a cosmos, and there was this terrestrial ball floating around that was all banged up and without form. And he says, I'm going to pick that one. I'm going to move it a little bit closer to this star. I'm going to put it in the right kind of orbit so it has the right kind of atmosphere. I'm going to put an atmosphere around it, actually. And then I'm going to have it at this certain temperature. I'm going to create things like the mountains and the, and, and, uh, and the oceans and stuff, maybe in through the course of thousands and millenniums. Uh, I don't know. And then he says, I'm going to put animals and plants and then human beings on there. So God's been up to stuff. God doesn't get bored. So he created it. He said, I'm starting it. And when he started it, he picked a people, beginning with Adam and Eve and, of course, the fall and everything that, that happened with the creation. But it begins to move forward. And where we're moving to is, guess what? We're moving not to back to some nebulous kind of thing. We're moving into eternity future, God and eternity through time. And so we stand between the times, between the present age which goes all the way back to creation, I believe, and the coming age, which is going to be what we experience as redeemed human beings if we're followers of Jesus for the eons of time. But we've got this little segment right here called Between the Times, and that's where we're living. Now, that's a pretty simple uh, timeline. Let me fill in a few things there, right? So we do. We have creation over here, create Adam and Eve. We have the fall of mankind. He gave them the freedom to choose because if you are forced to love God, what kind of love is that? So you were given the freedom of choice. And so by being given the freedom of choice, you, there was also, there had to be an allowance for the wrong choice to be made or for evil to come into the world. And so evil came into the world. We know that they were tempted through uh, the serpent who was Satan, who was a fallen angel. Now, where'd all that fit in? I don't know. I think that's all back here before God in the beginning of time somehow. The cherubim and the seraphim and, and uh, Satan uh, was named Lucifer. He was an archangel and he was cast from the heavens with a third of the angels. And somehow he was cast to the earth and he brought about corruption when God created a perfect paradise. And so he tempted Adam and Eve. They fell. They sinned. That sort of got them kicked down. Uh, sort of, it did. Got them kicked out of paradise out of the Garden of Eden, right? And so now we move into the history of the Hebrew people as God seeks to bring redemption. And then God in his sovereignty and the choice of time, he brought Jesus Christ, his very son. He sent him into this world. We have the death, the cross, the resurrection, and then the ascension like we just talked about. But what's next is that second coming between the times. After that, Scripture seems to allude to a thousand-year reign of Christ when he comes back, and then some other stuff breaks loose, and then some other endings happen, and then there's a new heaven and a new earth that's created and moving forward. Some of that amazing, incredible timeline. In fact, those of you that were a part of the Revelation study this summer, uh, you got real disappointed when uh, Mike Bartell ended at chapter 11 because you wanted to go into the other chapters, and, and what's the rest of the story, Right? Well, you come back next summer or earlier. I don't know when we'll get it done. And then you will go into the rest of the story and the studies of Revelations, right? But that's the timeline. All kinds of events could have been placed on there, right? Let me talk about some of the 
aspects that relates to the people. There were the Hebrew people that were chosen. And so you have the Old Testament, a storyline about them and how God's redeeming them. But he didn't want to just redeem the Jewish people for the sake of the Jewish people. He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to all people. He picked the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, for the purpose of blessing other people. They didn't quite all fully dial into that. Jesus Christ comes, and so we move into the New Testament, and God establishes the church, and the church of the followers of Jesus Christ. It's not the building, it's the people, right? And then it talks about in the millennium, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the church is the followers of Christ, is the bride of Christ, come to be known as the community, the king, King Jesus. So that's sort of a simple timeline of the kingdom of God. Except the kingdom of God isn't just a storyline. The kingdom of God has different aspects, and I want to just highlight some of those and um, not spend too much time here today, but to get this in our framework. Scott McKnight, a good New Testament theologian today, he studied this whole kingdom of God aspect, because the kingdom of God sometimes today is used erroneously. Sometimes it's used erroneously by church people. I don't care much for the church. I'm sort of a kingdom person. And a lot of times that means, well, you're sort of dialed into uh, maybe social justice or other kinds of things or just helping out. Well, Friends, it's pretty hard to separate the church from the kingdom of God. The church operates within the kingdom of God. But the kingdom, term kingdom of God, can be used erroneously today a lot. And so I just want to unpack that, and Scott McKnight does that. He's he's studied quite a bit in all kinds of traditions and scriptures and and even uh, outside of scriptures and understanding of what kingdom means. And he came up with these five critical aspects, five core aspects of the kingdom. The first is, every kingdom has a king. If you don't have a king, you don't have a kingdom. All right? That makes sense. So there has to be a king for there to be a kingdom. The second thing is, there is a rule. So the king, when he has his kingdom, he has a rule or a law or a governance aspect of what's going on. And that rule is about, for God, is about redemption and it's about governance and, and restoration, okay? So there's this rule. In the Old Testament, the rule was the Torah. In Jesus' day, you could say he imparted the Sermon on the Mount, all right? And then you've got um, Paul with his epistles, and the epistles have sort of some ethical kind of teaching. So this is the way to operate within an understanding of that rule, his reign, a people, No kingdom is a kingdom unless there are people who are following the king. And so, as that relates to the kingdom of God, he can start to put it together. So McKnight said there's a king, a king has a rule, he has a people, and the third thing, he has a will. He has a a desire, a a sovereign direction of which he is, is leading things. And the lordship of Jesus Christ would play into this. So you you would say, well, if he has a will and a people that are following him, then they're underneath, all right, um, his governance, his redemptive work and what's going on. And they are following, not toe in line because, oh, my gosh, he's he's a a fun killer and he's going to make us just, you know, 
you know, just obey him and crush our spirits. No, no. He knows how you're made, how you're wired. Trust me, I'm one of those people that don't like to read instructions, and after a while I find, finally realized my stupidity. It's best to read the instruction to figure out how the creator of the device actually made it to work and go together. And that's the way it is in life, human being. God's not out to destroy you. He's out to make you function and live to the fullest as he intended for you to live. So there's a king, there's a rule or there's a reign, and I used that word last week, and then there's a people and a will, but then the fifth thing, and sometimes this gets lost, is that there is actually a place. You can't study scripture without the kingdom of God coming to a particular kind of place. But foremostly, the kingdom of God really is the king reigning and ruling with his people and bringing about his will. So who is the king? The king is Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was Yahweh, and then Jesus came, and Jesus was God himself, and then the Father. So the king is Jesus Christ underneath the leadership, the governance of the Father. Who, how is this redemptive rule and power exercised? It's exercised through regeneration, through restoration, all right, and through God continuing to work his purposes on earth. That's his desire, his rule. Who are the king's people? Those who are followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus, those of you gathered here today, you are a part of the king's people if you're following the king. What is the king's will or law? It's written out in Scripture, and we can know that, and we can follow it, and we can live underneath it for our life. I've come that you may have life and live it to the full, Jesus said. And then where is the kingdom of God today? Well, this is not debunking anything about Israel or Jewish people or, or ignoring what it means with the new heaven and new earth in the future, but the reality is where other people are gathered and they're bringing about God's kingdom, his purpose and his will, that is a place, and it can be in your family, it can be in a church environment. There is a locality for the kingdom of God that is happening and working through. I think these five components are important because all the conversation, all the study I've done through the years on the kingdom of God, it can be, get very broad, sometimes very nebulous. Sometimes it can even be very myopic or narrow. And so we have to understand it in all of its fullness. I defined last week the kingdom as the realm of God's rule and reign by Jesus Christ. Scott McKnight just simply puts it this way. A kingdom is a people ruled by a king. Are you part of the kingdom of God? Or are you just living your story, trying to make the best of life amidst all the brokenness? Pull yourself back. God ministers in the brokenness. The pain doesn't always go away in the night. But you're a part of something bigger that's happening. It gives you context. The epic, the kingdom, the gospel, and the community, the king, gives you context to live out the life. Remember Jesus teaching us how to pray? I put up the King James Version. A lot of us may be memorizing that. Let's repeat this together. You ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.
Jesus, teach us how to pray. Let me teach you how to pray that my kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Some of us are caught up in worry. Whenever we're caught up in worry, I always encourage us to go to Matthew 6, the words of Jesus, and he says, don't worry about this, worry about that. What does he tell us to do in Matthew 6? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you in verse 33. Friends, you and I are a part of God's movement through time, and we worship a king. In a few moments, as we close our worship time, we're going to gather around the table to partake of the elements that remember Jesus Christ, what he's done and what he is doing. And we are going to thank the Lord through worship by the partaking of the elements. But Jesus Christ spent time with his people. But just because he ascended to the heavens from the scripture that we read doesn't mean that he's not with you this morning or with you this week or with you for the journey that's ahead of you right now. The king has a people. He rules and reigns over them with gentleness and kindness and direction and purpose. He brings those people together for his greater mission into all the world. And Jesus longs for you to be where he's at. But wherever two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst until the day that he comes again and takes us to a new heaven and a new earth. We are a part of a kingdom story. And we as a church people are a part of the community of the king. And as a community of the king, a part of the church in this day and age, there's two primary things that we're called to do. We're called to worship God. And we're called to work for God's kingdom in the world. And so wherever you see a heart turning away from God towards God, there's the kingdom of God coming. Wherever the purposes of God are being brought in acts of justice or helps to those who are helpless, there the kingdom of God is coming. You are bringing his rule and his reign to the small little piece of pie that you have that you're eating off of this week. But if you're a part of his church, his community, the king, then you are called to worship him for who he is that's the king. And what he's done, breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood, anticipation of him coming again. And you are called to work for his purposes. And there's a third aspect to it that ties back into these two that interplay. And that is you are to encourage one another in the king's community. The reason we challenge you, hey, get in a life group. You know, consider going on the 10-week rooted journey of being able to share and get to know others and, and learn and grow. This isn't to fill up your schedule. It's because you're supposed to be a part of the community of the king. What does your calendar reflect concerning the king's agenda in your own life and the lives of others? Our life groups are to be missional communities. Not just gathering for study and some high fives and all that's good, but to be able to care, to pray over one another, to serve the least, uh, 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 the least advantaged to those who are, are disadvantaged. You are called into this community. If we are living between the times, then for goodness sakes, can't we practice it during the week between the times of Sunday to Sunday? Let's get engaged with one another and live life together. This is not an appeal to fill up a program and to fill up homes for life groups. It's an appeal for you to get engaged with that which you'll do for all eternity. 
Be involved with other people's lives. Love one another, encourage one another, serve one another in the community of the King as we worship and we work for His purposes. Amen and amen. That's my appeal. So turn in that sheet and get in a group. How's that? The team's going to come. We're going to sing a song and open up the table for you to worship the Lord. But as we mentioned last week, you're not a part of the kingdom unless you've been born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And born again means that you're repenting of your indifference. You're turning towards Jesus, inviting him into your life to live for him. And if you've not been born again, I encourage you today, you can be born again. In fact, we have a prayer area that's established over here, and you can even go to that prayer area during our communion time. You Maybe you have spiritual questions. Maybe you'd like to be born into the kingdom of God. Maybe your story that you're living right now is one of challenge, and you just want somebody to pray with you. So our prayer area is going to be open always, especially during a time such as this. But after service, you can make your way there. And then one of the most critical aspects of being a part of the community of the king is your identification with that community. And Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen and hallelujah. Baptism is important. If you've never been baptized, following your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to mark back your Connect card. Come and be a part of our baptism service on September the 22nd in the afternoon. You're identifying with your love for Jesus, I believe, but you're also identifying with the community of the King. That public step is critical because the adversary doesn't want you stepping out of the shadows into the light and declaring your allegiance to the Lord. But once you begin to declare that allegiance in a public kind of manner, some incredible things, I believe, start to happen because there's an alignment. Alignment with your everyday story, with the eternal story that's going on in life. So I pray the communion tables open as we close with this song. You'll make your way back to your seats and following communion, the ushers will receive the Lord's tithes and offerings in your connect cards as well as your small group sheets. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that we get to worship you in the beauty of your holiness. As we sang earlier, Lord, so we sing again. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah. Lord, we ask that we would come around these tables to remember your brokenness, the shedding of your blood, the new covenant, that we would come, if we're believers in Christ, we would come today, partake of the elements, pray, whether it's alongside, back at our seat, taking the bread, dipping it in, in the juice, Lord, as we partake of the communion elements, as it says in Corinthians 11, we are proclaiming your death until you come again. And Lord, we shout hallelujah. So be it. We long for your return. Empower us, strengthen us through the filling of your spirit to forward your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And God's people said, amen. You may come to the tables we sing.